0: Hello, music teacher friends. Welcome to episode 109 of the Beyond Measure podcast. Fun fact, 109 is kind of my lucky number, so I have been excited for this episode. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. Christina Whitlock here, York. Anytime, piano teacher, friend, ready to help you think on a really important aspect of the lesson experience today. How we structure our time. Do I have your attention? Okay, let's do this thing. Okay, friends, this is one of the biggest challenges that face us as music teachers how do we best use the 30, or 45, or 60, or however many minutes we get with our students each week? We get such a small amount of time with them, how do we make the most impact in the shortest amount of time? Hmm? Well, I have some ideas for you today, but first, I just need to reiterate that I think we are doing our students a disservice if their entire lesson is built around showing you what they accomplished in the specific pieces that you assigned them last week. Granted, that can be a significant part of the lesson experience, but I think we need to cast a wider net for the goal of each lesson. My primary goal is to make functional musicians who can use their instrument to accomplish whatever they want to with it in life. And I happen to think there is more for us to do within the lesson to achieve that goal than simply focusing on what they practiced that week and letting the tone of the lesson hang solely on how much work they did or did not do. If you're interested in hearing me talk more on that subject, there is a happy little trio of episodes that I would strongly recommend listening to if I were you. Those are episodes 51, 52, and 108. Links to those episodes are located in the show notes for this episode, so be sure to check them out. Back to today's episode— let's talk about ways to structure a lesson. The possibilities are endless here, of course, but I thought I would throw out a few ideas for you today. One typical complaint of music teachers, myself included, is the age-old question of how do I get everything done in the lesson. We all know the pains of wanting to get more done than the minutes on the clock are going to allow. I wish I could solve that entirely for you today, but I do think it's always going to be somewhat of a balance. That considered, I do think there are some foundational shifts in your expectations for the lesson that can help. I've said this before, but we all have a tendency to get trapped in this lesson structure rut where students arrive, they play a given warm-up, then we work through the pieces they were assigned for that week. There are a few issues we consistently run into in this scenario. One, we have some students, especially those who are strong readers, that bring back more pieces than we can possibly get through in our allotted time together. Or, to the opposite scenario, when a student doesn't practice and is not a strong reader, there is this cloud of despair, (laughs) you know, lots of heavy sighs, as it feels like you're just doomed to repeat the last week's lesson, which may have been a repeat of the last week's lesson. It doesn't have to be that way, by the way. Instead of framing your lesson expectations around this assign, practice, pass, repeat cycle, what if you looked at your lessons as a consistent opportunity to increase your students' understanding of musical concepts? Plain and simple. I mean, it's really not that revolutionary of an idea, But don't you think we all get trapped in this idea that the only way we are doing that is through this endless cycle of assign, practice, pass, repeat, assign, practice, pass, repeat. (laughs) I'm putting my infomercial voice on and saying, there has to be a better way. For those students I have who practice a lot of pieces throughout the week, They know fully well that I do not plan on hearing every single one of them in each lesson, especially because I want to spend a good chunk of my time cleaning up one or two pieces rather than hearing them play twelve pieces in a row with the same lack of detail to the phrase shape. (laughs) I've trained my students in these scenarios to come with sort of a ranked list of sorts. I will let them start with the pieces that they think they made the most progress with, and then usually we'll follow it up with a piece that they feel like they struggled with the most. Anything else we can get to at that point is just icing on the cake. But I do know that these students often really want to play me everything they've practiced that week it's disappointing, sure, if you learned a piece and then you don't get to play it for your teacher right away. So in order to be respectful of that, on occasion, I will simply have my students begin with a performance of sorts of all the pieces that they want to play for me that day. Do you ever do this? It doesn't feel like it's a big deal, but yet it's also just so different than how a lot of us structure the lesson. So instead of working on one piece at a time, do you ever just have your students play everything on their assignment list? Just boom, 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 boom. I actually find this to be incredibly enlightening doing so will show you consistencies and inconsistencies in their playing that you might be more likely to miss if you're only working on one piece at a time. It also gives them the satisfaction of showing you everything they worked on for the week. And, of course, it also gives you a terrific perspective on what piece most needs your help— I'm sure I'm not alone in my experience of spending too much time on one piece only to find out another piece has enormous issues and I'm left with only like three minutes to fix them before my student is destined to spend another seven days making all of the same mistakes. (laughs) Tell me I'm not the only one. However you do it, Shaking up the lesson structure is overall just a great way to breathe new energy into the lesson. Let your students play their technical skills last. The world will keep on turning, I promise you. (laughs) Maybe you can try immediately beginning with some aural skills. Have your students stand across the room and sing back patterns that you play for them. Sight read a duet that is way below their reading ability so they get a quick win for the day. See what you can do to catch your student off guard in a refreshing way, that is. One consistent goal I have is to aim to spend at least five minutes or so on a skill that is looming ahead for my student in the future. What I mean is, prior to a lesson, I try to name what my student is learning now and what I want them to learn next. Then I take whatever that next concept is and I begin planning like a watered down version of that for the current lesson. In most cases, my goal is to have introduced a student to a new concept before they ever see it in print. If you're working out of a method series, this means you can simply eyeball the concepts that are coming up in the next few pages. If you are working exclusively in traditional literature, this means you'll be planning the next piece or two out, and you will consider what things are going to benefit a student before they ever lay eyes on that next piece. Before my students ever see a sharp symbol on the page in front of them, they have already played sharps in pentascale patterns, and I've already talked to them about how sharps and flats work. They can find a G-flat on the piano long before they ever see it in their book. It's sort of an application of Francis Clark's famous approach of sound before symbol, but it goes a little deeper than that. I can't get far into this idea here, though I will say that it is a strong component of my Studio Foundations course, which is, by the way, finally officially published! Woo! <laughs> that opened on January 15th, and I have been so excited to hear everyone's experiences with the material already. If you are interested in learning more about this strategy, which I call experience before label, along with other foundational principles that I have built my instruction on, be sure to check out the link to the Studio Foundations course in the show notes. But back to this idea of working ahead and experiencing things before we see them on the page in front of us. I try to make sure that each of my students is spending, again, somewhere in the neighborhood of five minutes of each lesson just working forward, sometimes without even realizing it. Your students don't even have to realize what you are doing. You don't have to let them see behind the curtain here. (laughs) You just need to frame things as experiments. And hey, why don't you try this? Or hey, I'd like to show you this today. And then when it magically appears in their repertoire over the next few weeks, you are the superhero because you have already foreshadowed this information for your students And they are going to be infinitely more successful with their work because they already have some level of familiarity with these new concepts that are brewing. I cannot emphasize enough how helpful it is for your lesson experience if you can devote five-ish minutes to this idea of just working a concept outside of the repertoire that is coming up the pipeline for your students. I think you're going to find it to be really helpful and kind of a game changer. (laughs) And now I'm laughing at myself at the irony of how quickly our time on this podcast here has flown as I'm talking about the problem of time flying in our lessons. (laughs) Ah, Time waits for no one, does it? To close out today, I just want you to take a moment and consider what your givens are for the way that you structure your lesson. Then, after you name the things that you just always do because you always do them, I want you to consider what you might be able to change up on occasion for the benefit of your students and yourself, by the way. This really does help keep things engaging for you, too. But having said that, I do need you to hear me on this last point, okay? It is not that you need to reinvent the wheel here. (laughs) And I'm surely not saying that you should mix things up just for the sake of mixing them up. I mean, I'm not trying to make things unnecessarily more difficult for you, (laughs) However, I do think sometimes we get ourselves stuck in ruts and in systems that are actually not serving us as well as we think they are. That is what today's episode is about, my friends. And just like that, you know what time it is. It's time for a toast. (laughs) Grab that nearest glass and hike it up in the air, my friends. music teacher friends from all over the world. (laughs) Seriously, you guys are tuning in from everywhere these days. Uh, We are a really incredible group of people, you know it? (laughs) You're pretty awesome. I have some great friends doing great work in this world and I really do feel blessed to be in this profession alongside you. I am all about working smarter and not harder And that's what I hope today has inspired you to do in regards to the way that you establish the setup of your lessons. If you want to cover more music, let your students play more music. If you are frustrated that your students haven't practiced and you don't know what to do with them, don't build your lesson entirely based on an expectation of practice. It really can be done. If you really need more time with your students, then consider suggesting a longer lesson. There is no reason to finish every lesson feeling breathless and disappointed because there were 20,000 other things you wanted to accomplish. (laughs) As with most things in our profession, it's our own expectations that end up dragging us down sometimes, rather than those things that are coming from external sources. Ooh, hard truth there, I know. <laughs> While you mold that one over, I am just going to close out by saying cheers to you, my ambitious, reflective, self aware music teacher friends. <laughs> hear, hear. a wrap on episode 109, friends. (laughs) If you were wondering why I mentioned that 109 is kind of my lucky number, well, simply, it's because Beethoven opus 109, his sonata number 30, is like the soundtrack of my life. It's my favorite piece in the whole wide world. Um, And that number, 109, just seems to follow me everywhere. So, Anyway, this was a fun episode milestone to hit. I am just such a numbers nerd. Sorry. (laughs) For links to related episodes and all kinds of other good stuff, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode, or you can always just head to christinawitlock.com slash episode 109 onward and upward, my studio friends. Stay well, stay energized, and I'm hoping that all good things come to you this week. We'll chat soon. Take care!